and well-met traveler. Welcome to the tavern. Did you know this is the place where more than half of the greatest adventures in history have begun? But before those adventurers took their first steps, they watched and calculated who would join their party. Why look over there? There's a mighty barbarian from the frozen lands. Strong, mighty, full of honor and wisdom. I happen to know that one. They go by Matt Rossi. And look over there to the right. That woman working away on her mechanical dog. She's cunning, witty, and I've seen her bounce more than her fair share of ne'er-do-wells out of here before I can even blink. I happen to know that she goes by the name Liz Harper. And me? Oh, my name's Joe Perez. And I'll be your tavern keep. Welcome to Tavern Watch. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Tavern Watch podcast. I don't know why I said it. Tavern, tavern Watch. Watch. Yeah, Tavern Watch. Brand new podcast. New year, new podcast. We're watching Taverns. You can't let those guys get around. Uh, but yeah, this is our 2021 recap, which we're recording on the first day of 2022. Um, it's, of course, me, Matt, I'm hosting this week. Uh, also with us will be Joe Perez. Say hi, Joe. Hello. And uh, our, the person who's responsible for this podcast even existing, uh, Liz Harper. Howdy. Um, take a bow, Liz. You got it off the ground. Uh, yeah, just imagine me bowing right now. I can't uh, bow because I'm tied to my microphone with a cable, but imagine, imagine. <laughs> imagine all the podcasts. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's actually a lot to talk about in 2021. Uh, just, just when we were going over kind of setting up sort of a ground rules, like, hey, we at least should have some sort of thing written down so we know what we're talking about. Uh, stuff like the the really big surge in independent RPGs on Kickstarter you know, just going nuts that happened this year. The Dungeons and Dragons people put out multiple amazing products that kind of ground changers. Uh, Pathfinder had some good stuff too, but also Paizo got a union, which is a big deal because uh, there's no other unions in TTRPGs right now. So that was, I think now actually there is now another union as well. A uh, smaller company also has a union, but yeah, I, I can honestly, I'm having a hard time thinking because there's just so much stuff to talk about. Well, let's, um, I mean, we should start talking about it instead of speedrunning uh, it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to throw that's this over why, to... Yeah, well, go ahead. That's why we made a list, so that we could... <laughs> well, we'll throw it over to uh, Liz to talk about first. I think what you talk about the D&D slate this year. Uh, yeah, there was just a wild uh, slate of D&D releases. They did five books last year. Uh, we had Candlekeep Mysteries, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, and Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos. And each of these books, these are like completely wildly different books that go in every possible direction. And uh, you start. we started the year with Candlekeep Mysteries, a little kind of bunch of one-shots that are mm -hmm. sort of mystery-focused. And uh, we had Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which took us uh, back to uh, the domains of dread and, you know, all of this horror elements. And then we had Wild Beyond the Witchlight, which is also Feywild. And it is a book that you can play through this entire adventure without going into combat once if you really, really try. Um, it's and also a book that, you know, kind of quietly changed the very cosmology of the, of the Dungeons and Dragons setting, a which is bit, something yeah. we, we saw again further down the road. So I thought like, that was fascinating. I, uh, how, how so? The domains of delight that they put into Witchlight were I mean, never anything it, before. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, all so brand new. That's very true. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it mirrors the domains of dread. Yeah, from exactly. Van so. And it sets up a real thing where Ravenloft is in the Shadowfell and the domains of delight are in the, are in the Feywild and it sets up the Feywild and the Shadowfell even more as being like mirror opposites of each other. And it was, it's just something new. It's something we hadn't seen before. 
it's it's also really interesting because it's flushing out uh in particular Shadowfell and and the Fey Wilds, which were huge in fourth edition D D. Like they were a big part of a lot of the storytelling. That's where like you how you got your Shatter Kai, that's how you got a whole bunch of like different like introductions to different gods and pantheons. Uh and so like with that combined with some of the other stuff that they've been talking about, like it, Matt and I were talking about this uh on one of the podcasts, I think a while ago. Uh, but it just feels like they're bringing back like this sort of like multidimensionality to it. And they're trying to set the, the ground rules for it. And I'm kind of here for it. like, I'm okay with, with them wanting to do that and sort of exploring all these different things and flushing it out so that when we do get a proper cosmology that we can move through, it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. And it's really interesting that we got uh, Van Richten's guide and then immediately followed by wild beyond the witch light. And these are two books that are so different, but they have a lot of kind of interesting connections, uh, mm -hmm. which we've been wild beyond the witch light. And y'all will maybe see some of these connections at some point. We'll we'll see if we ever get there. Um, but after Wild Beyond the Witch Light, it's like, you know, three books already, three good books would have already been like a pretty good year, but they followed that up with Fizman's Treasury of Dragons, which I really loved that book. I mean, what did y'all think of this? That was, that was one of the best releases they've done. Mm -hmm. And I I'd say that in a year where like a year they've had great releases and I'm not taking anything away from any of them, but Fizzman's is just, it does an amazing job of balancing out what mm -hmm. it is. Like you want a monster book. It's a monster book. You want a book that gives you lore. It's a lore book. You want a book that gives you possibilities for setting up whole new kinds of campaign ideas. It's right there in the book. And more importantly than anything else, there's two words in the name of this game. Three if you count the ampersand. <laughs> and it's about one of them. The dragons should be a big deal in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so yeah, overall I thought it was really great. Um, I really liked that it, you know, it laid out characterizations of all of these different kinds of dragons and just gave you like ideas for creating dragon characters or role-playing dragon characters. You know, it just gave a lot of kind of it, it was full of ideas and things you could grab and add to things. Um, and also, you know, it has a, a new ranger subclass where you can have a pet dragon, which is going to be pretty awesome. Which Quite I know you that wanted to do immediately as soon as you heard that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 what I'm doing in y'all's next campaign. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to have a pet dragon. So y'all just be ready for that. That's the. That's the best ranger subclass in some time. And it quite honestly, the rules it uses for the dragon companion, the, the, I think it's a, like a worm or something mm -hmm. that companions rules should be used for all rangers. I would agree. Cause they, it finally makes the companion useful and powerful. It reminds me of third edition rangers with an animal companion. Like that. It comes back to that a little bit without being as, as weirdly overpowered. It was like it, it's uh... usable and unique. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, yeah. you don't like have to worry that, you know, oh no, my pet got killed. So now I need to do, you know, it's just, no, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And that's, that's something that you should be for, for a class that uses a pet so much, the pet should be something that Can, you don't have to worry about like that. Another thing that I want to call out real, real quick. And, and I think we talked about this before, but I think it's real important too, is this is also the year that, that Wizards of the Coast flat out said racials don't need to be racials. Right. Like they got they got rid of it and had the custom lineage now where you can literally be anything and do anything with any type of character, which is the first time they've ever done something like that. So, like, you can actually have like a good deep lineage however you want. Yeah. Like, like you can play you could play your dwarf stock the way it's in the book if you want to. Or you could say I'm playing a dwarf, but I'm using custom lineage. So I'm doing uh, all this different stuff. I, I am going to note that custom lineages were in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, which was out in 2020. Yeah, but it's the this is the first year that people have played with it. And this year, the one thing that we know they did this year was they came out and said, oh, by the way, Drow, not all evil. Yes. And, and like you see a lot of that with like when you're going through like Van Richten's in particular um, with like all the Hexblood stuff and things like that, like they, they're and, and Fizzman's guide, like they're really trying to drive that home as well. Um, so yeah, like it's, I, I, I understand that it was released in 2020. Um, but I think it's really, this is the first year of books where that wasn't a central point of it. 
right? Like Tasha's, by the way, Tasha's and, and other stuff that came out in 2020 was also really good. Yes. So yeah. Wizards has been following strength with strength this year. We haven't even talked about Strixhaven yet, which I know both Joe mm-hmm. and Liz were super like wanting to talk about. So let's get into some Strixhaven conversation here. What do you guys think of Strixhaven? I I think it's a really interesting book in that it's like, okay, is this a new setting for D&D? Is this a new source book for D&D? Is this an adventure? And it's like, the answer is yes. The answer to all of those things is yes. It's crammed a lot of stuff into a book. It's a, you've got a new setting and a totally new world. You've got all of these new characters that inhabit this world. And then you have four pretty meaty little adventures to play in the world. So I thought it was a really interesting book in that sense because it gives you a lot. There's a lot to do in this book. Yeah, it, oh. it's it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I also like the idea that it introduced, uh, for lack of a better term, skill challenges, uh, academic challenges to give you another thing that weren't uh, combat and it wasn't just traditional puzzle solving. It reminded me a lot of a game that I do uh, also enjoy, East Texas University, um, which is a... Uh, Savage Worlds uh, game where you go to school and you basically are either Buffy and or Scooby-Doo. I I do enjoy that, but I like the idea of having more skill challenges. I like the idea of having non-combat scenarios that still leverage dice rolling or or things that players have invested into their character. So that was a really nice way to see them try to consider that because that's one of the things, if I had to give a critique to Wild Beyond the Witchlight, is a lot of that doesn't become apparent to uh, players if you're playing through the game. Uh, it's very easy to lose sight of it, especially because it is such a, a turn where you can like be completely social, never do any combat. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just want to roll a die or you want to do something. And it's not always obvious that you're going to be able to do that with Witchlight, right? Because a lot of it feels like you troll player way out of it. With Strixhaven, there is an element of that, but there is also very specifically, you do this, roll this. And it's not combat, it's something else. And I, I like that I like that idea. Also, I'm also going to point out that this is the year where um, Unearthed Arcana brought back races from Star Frontiers. Mm-hmm. Never letting that go. Uh, <laughs> you did not slip the Drazolates past me, guys. I saw them. Uh, because yeah, But Strixhaven, to me, is interesting because it is the first step towards actually having a campaign setting. Uh, they, they did this previously with other with other properties from magic, the gathering, but I think Strixhaven is unique in that it really makes, it feels like we're going to get a setting where they actually come out and say the magic, the gathering worlds are all there for D and D. you play D and D magic, the gathering stuff is there. It's, it's getting codified in and we're going to see more of it in a way. Theros didn't do that. Theros doesn't talk about how it relates to other D and D worlds. But Strixhaven does, because they tell you up front, Strixhaven is in another dimension. It, it's, it's its a, own reality. They're also going the other way, too, which I think is interesting as well. So, like, I recently got into Magic the Gathering again after a multi-year hiatus. But one of the things I, I noted is that what drove me back in was they did an entire Forgotten Realm set. And one of the major releases coming out this year is going to be Commander sets based around Dungeons & Dragons. So like it's uh, Commander Legends two is going to be a lot of like Forgotten Realms and, and Dungeons and Dragons stuff. So like I I like that they're cross pollinating. And I was talking with one of our local shops about it here years and years and years ago. And Matt, you'd probably remember some of this. Uh, I don't know Liz if you would, but like there used to be this like intense hatred between D and D players and Magic the Gathering players. And oh yeah, it was, and it was one of those things where it's like you keep your D and D away from my Magic the Gathering, you keep my <laughs> Magic away from my D and D, and it never made any sense to me, especially after Wizards got their hands on everything, right? After everything was under one roof, because at one point it wasn't. It was uh, Richard Garfield Games, was it? Yeah, it was Garfield Games uh, originally, and then there was you know. TSR and then they eventually all wound up under Watsi. So now that they're starting to say, no, we can do this. Why wouldn't we do this? Especially when it's a game about Dungeons and Dragons and there's literally an entire set of Magic the Gathering that is nothing but like, oh yeah, by the way, the universe was created by dragons. Here's a whole entire story involving all of these iconic like legendary Planeswalker dragons. Like having some of that stuff bleed over and, and cross-pollinate makes just perfect sense. I love that they're well, doing it. If you look at Fizzman's. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big things about Fizzmans is their idea that dragons see the universe differently. Yeah, they exist in like multi-dimensional space essentially. Yeah, and that they, you know, they think of themselves as the makers of the universe and that the gods are interlopers. And there's just they didn't come out and say that the magic stuff is canon. That's but they they are hinting oh. towards 
being yeah. broader on it. But I, I read, I read that. And I was like, oh, they're they're setting up Nicol Bolas and Ugin the Ineffable. Like the, the, they're coming, they're coming. So yeah, there was that too. It's been an, a crazy year for D and um, I'm not saying that you know everything is golden all the time, but I mean the, just the quality state, the, the quality slate of releases this year, and we know that the the anniversary is coming up in 2024. Uh, they they were you know this the the 50th anniversary is in two years. We know there's going to be some form of D and D, maybe a, just a revised fifth edition, maybe a new edition entirely because it it could be a new edition. It's two years down the road. Didn't I, I forget what year fifth edition came out, but it's already lasted longer than like fourth or third did. So it could get a revision in 2024. I don't know if it will. I feel like they kind of have us an edition that they're just now expanding on. But we could see what happens. But at any rate, this year was really just remarkable for them. I mean, it was a, and like we, we mentioned a little bit earlier too, like it's just, it's been a, a, an amazing year for tabletop RPGs and right. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like just not, not just like Dungeons and Dragons, but like, I mean, Liz, do you want to talk about, uh, you know, Avatar and how that just smashed everything? Uh, yes. Avatar just came in and. I, I mean, I wonder if they really expected to break records like this. No, um, they didn't. Nobody they, expected we, them to. When we interviewed Brandon, he basically straight up said we had no idea. Yeah, I don't I mean, think. Yeah, I, I think there was just like pent up demand for Avatar and there hasn't been a ton of Avatar stuff since Legend of Korra, which has been Legend of Korra has been a while now. Uh, but Avatar Legends, the role-playing game, hit Kickstarter and raised nine and a half million dollars uh, for this game, and it's it's just it's wild. It's a very interesting-looking game, and uh, you can already get the there's like a quick start guide that mm-hmm. you can grab online for free and try it out. And uh, kind of the finished version is supposed to be due out this year. I think the date they gave for it is February which is now very, very close. I'm not sure if they're going to be sticking to that date, but that's that's heard, the last date I heard. I heard that there might be some delay in it just due to, to global supply and demand. Yeah, pub- yeah. publishing stuff is, is really messed up, right? Yeah, yeah so- especially especially considering they got a $9.5 million Kickstarter, which was maybe a larger volume than they expected to have to produce. Like well, They had to throw in several, like, you know, several things that you get if we break this record and they kept doing it. I, I just want to mention briefly that like there were like other big Kickstarters for, for games this year. Yeah. I was just going to um, say, Matt, do you want to talk about those ones? I just want to talk about them to give people an idea of the difference between what avatar did and what other companies did. The biggest of those ones this year were basically coyote and crow raised about a million. Exactly. Uh, it was like a million and then 500, 5,000 behind besides mm-hmm. it. So it's like 1.05 million. Uh, Mothership, the the sci-fi horror space game, made about 1.4 million USD. And, their, their books are gorgeous, by the way. I just got yeah. my hands on them. And the One Ring, which was a, a it's a it's a J.R.R. Tolkien based, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings second edition. The second edition of the One Ring made 1.8 million USD. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are that's what you that's like a big indie TTRPG Kickstarter. That's usually what you get. Actually, actually those three are all really high for that. And getting that high is 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 pretty impressive. The, and then Avatar comes in and gets nine point five. Well, I was going to say million dollars. The one thing to also note too is Coyote and Crow is a standout in that too because like it is one of the few that we saw go up this year that is non-standard fantasy. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is a tabletop role-playing game where like you know American colonization never happened. Like it is, yeah. it's it's minority POC type stuff. And I love I it it's I don't want to say surprising that it hit that level. But like it was good to see it hit that level, and then you have. I would say it is surprising to see it hit that level, both because TTRPGs as a as a sphere have been getting more diverse, but still Mm. that's a it's still a hard thing to get. There's a lot of backlash. It's also surprising because Kyrian Crow wasn't hyped at all. Yeah, like nobody. The only people who hyped it were the people who wanted it out there, and then it started picking up because people were like, "Oh no, this deserves to be mentioned. This deserves to be out there." And it does look really interesting. Um, there's just all of these games. Th- th- this is why we really kind of need to talk about what they're doing at Kickstarter here. Yeah. Kickstarter at this point is really important for TTRGGs as a as a genre, as a sphere. Uh, and 
It's because like, if you look at, here's one example. If you've ever heard of Onyx Path, they're the people who basically do all the publishing for games that used to be under the White Wolf umbrella. White Wolf got bought and Onyx Path basically is the other company made out of former White Wolf people that publishes most of their stuff. Uh, like for instance, Exalted is comes out from Onyx Path. I think the only book that didn't come out from Onyx Path was actually Vampire this year. Yes, uh, Vampire has, was was published directly by the company that holds the rights. And and my God, was that a mess? Um, but Onyx Onyx Path is just one company that uses Kickstarter pretty heavily. A lot of companies do. Um, and so when Kickstarter says, "Hey, hey, we're going to switch to the blockchain," and just unilaterally, that's what we're doing. A lot of companies are now in a position where they're like, okay, can we still use Kickstarter? Will Kickstarter still work for us? And that's a big deal because it, A, it could mean that some companies just can't produce like they used to because they don't have access to Kickstarter the same way anymore. And the other thing is it, it means that there's a possibility we'll get another company that comes along to crowdfund TTRBGs because that it has been such a big deal. If you go look, I, I get emails every day from Kickstarter. Because I supported a few TTRPGs, they they email me with constantly with new ones that are up. It's it's it is a big deal. Um, we don't know what the actual aftershocks will be, but I feel like that has to get mentioned, especially when you look at Avatar. Because like you guys mentioned, we did that interview this year, and he was like, you know, we were not prepared for the volume of support. It it can it can absolutely change the direction of a company. Um, I remember like one of the ones I got like I think two years ago now. Um, just around the time the Theros book was coming out, there was the, um, oh, bloody heck, the Dragon Riders book, mm -hmm. in, the one that I picked up. It was another Greek mythology setting. I actually combined the two of them when I ran uh, Theros Force. I actually used stuff from that book. That got on Kickstarter. I was, it was from the company started by the guy that wrote um, the original Dragon Age. Like, so there's, there's a lot of stuff out there, and it, it really is kind of frightening to think about what Kickstarter deciding to change to a blockchain thing is going to do to those companies. They're very dependent on it. Now, could could you explain to me what Kickstarter is doing with blockchain? Because I had I actually have managed to totally bypass this news in my life. That's why Joe's here. <laughs> uh, so here's one of the the weird things about that, right? So I don't know how it's going to work in actual practice because the whole idea of blockchain is that it's a decentralized like infrastructure. Uh, it's a it's an entire technology. But here's the thing. A lot of these companies are already doing that with what they call stateless. So I don't know exactly how it's going to actually work. So far, all they said is that Kickstarter uh, is going to be using that block, uh, quote unquote, blockchain infrastructure and technology. Um, they haven't really given a whole lot of details uh, about that. They announced it, uh, I want to say just a few weeks ago, actually. So like what that actually means, we don't know yet. Um, and the idea behind the, the on paper idea behind it is that these these decentralized nodes are all publicly accessible records as far as like transaction history. So like, let's say a company tries to say they never did something. There would be um, like, f you know, 500 different markers that said that they do uh, or, or hold them to be honest instead of being able to wipe their 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 traces of whatever. But they kind of already do that just at a smaller scale. So I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that it's the real caveat of it or the real thing of it is people feel very strongly about it because blockchain is very heavily tied to NFTs. And so Kickstarter might see companies abandoning uh, it as far as usage so that they will, uh, for lack of a better term, not be able to leverage it or be part of that because they don't want to be feeding into that whole what what NFTs are and what they're doing, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Um, so, yeah, the word blockchain itself isn't necessarily bad, but Kickstarter still isn't told us what they're actually going to be doing there, just that they're moving to the block. So. Yeah, yeah that just that just does not make any sense to me. Like, it, yeah, um, that's the problem is that they may have just decided to release a press release to sound cool, which I think they and, did. Yeah. Because right again, from a technology standpoint, like having having done this, like if you if you use Gmail, congratulations, it's decentralized. If you use Hotmail, congratulations, it's decentralized. Uh, you have web hosting with Amazon Web Services, congratulations, it's decentralized. It's multiple multiple locations, usually with redundancy. It's what they they used to call stateless. 
So if they're just doing that and wanted to sound cool, they shot themselves in the foot. Uh, if they don't actually understand the technology and just let a publicist write this, which is likely what happened, they shot themselves in the foot. So hopefully they're not going to be. My thing is whether it's going to transition into Kickstarter trying to heavily influence uh, NFTs and getting companies to, to like game companies to join in on that, which some of them are already starting to try to do that. It, has, could, it has not gone well so far because uh, Ubisoft has yeah. tried to roll out some, in, uh, some NFTs and they have just gotten a really big backlash. Well, and from my I mean, understanding, from my understanding, they haven't sold. They haven't no, been selling. Yeah, I was just going to say the other thing about the NFTs is, as people pointed out, if you just put that thing up as a skin and let everybody buy it, it would have made tons more money. Yep. Yeah. Than trying to make it as an NFT that only one person can have. And and, that, and that's the thing. Like, so I, I was I was and not to, to completely derail, but this is a topic that came up at the end of 2021, uh, and it does tie into this. So one of the things that I know is uh, I don't want to say a fear. But we've already talked about digital distribution on the the video gaming side of things for a long time now. It's sort of the norm. We accept it. We, I mean, every single one of us sitting here has bought games digitally. Most of my collection is digital. Not going to even lie. And there was a point in time where we we're like, that's going to kill gaming and blah, blah, blah. It didn't. But this could because it's going to do something where, in particular, and talking with a lot of the local stores in the area, do you know how many people go in and buy like prints of things that they like? So like you go into a store and you see, oh, that's a really cool piece of artwork from this game I love or this, you know, D&D, you know, campaign that I really enjoyed and I want to buy a print of it. Well, if that company is no longer making prints of it and only offering an NFT of it. You don't get to own it anymore. One person gets to own it or a limited number of people get to, and then you just lose out on that. So it's, it's essentially the potential to start taking some of the things we love uh, away from people. And that's the part that I don't like. And it also means that it could potentially have a, an impact on local gaming stores too. If it starts, if that starts to take hold, because then you start limiting product in certain regards that they can, they can pick up because how many incidentals do you pick up? If you go to the local game store to buy like your D and D book, how many times do you go in and buy, you know, dice or an art book or, you know, something because it's neat, uh, maybe a pin or something like that. If some of those things start flipping over to digital only versions that are NFTs and bad stuff, I'm sorry, I Actually, can rant though, about it for a while. No, there's another problem with this that I don't think you, you might be thinking of, uh, as a disabled writer and, and player, uh, I need, PDFs and digital versions of of these game books to so that I can use them at all. I, I to me the age of me buying a big hardcover book and actually using it versus mm -hmm. just buying it to support the company is over. I sure. cannot do it, uh, and that's why some companies like Paizo get a lot more of my attention because they they have a digital version. When D and D started putting their their books out as accessible through D and D Beyond app, I was over the moon. Because yeah. now I can just have the thing on my on my iPad and just look at it anytime I need to. If you start getting NFTs, technically speaking, a PDF is an image. I do not want to see companies start putting any digital products out as NFTs because I, that limits their accessibility. And quite frankly, it's hard enough getting digitally accessible stuff for, for TTRPGs. And that's real annoying because quite frankly, one of the best markets out there is, is, is uh, drive-through RPG. Yep. And I like the drive through RPG does print on demand. Yes. So they will print the book for you if you want the book to have the a paper copy. And if they and have I the license to be able to do so. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, obviously. But anything that, that slows down adoption of pure actual digital download for, for tabletop role-playing games is a bad thing. In my opinion, anything that even threatens it, but here's because there's just not enough of that yet. And, and, and I don't want to see the NFTs do that. That's and, all I'm saying. And I agree with you, but there's also another side to it too, is I think that tabletop RPGs are in one, are in a very niche position. They want both. They want to have wide digital distribution, but they also need physical distribution as well to a certain extent, um, at least in some capacity, because you want yeah, to Yeah, but we already your... covered that. I just, so I'm saying in addition to the threat to that, there's also the threat to the other side of it. And both are I, a threat to the hobby. I, That's I agree. All I'm what I what I think what I would love to see the industry do and adopt, and I want to see if you guys agree with this. In 2022, what I would love to see them do is start looking at a ways where if you go and purchase a physical book, you get the digital version. That's what I want to see. That's something that they're not doing now. Especially like wizards could do this. I would love to see them adopt it, maybe. So what do you guys what do you guys think of that? I'm letting you go first, Liz. 
But you're muted. She's she's stepped away for a moment. All right, then I will talk. Um, like I said, a lot of times I buy the hardcover just to support the company. Mm-hmm. Like I did that with Pathfinder. Um, I've bought a couple of hardcover books for Pathfinder just to support the company. I bought the Cipher System rulebook just to support the company. I knew I wasn't going to be able to use it. Had it come with a with a PDF or some other form of digital download, I would have been thrilled. Mm-hmm. I would have thought that's great. Uh, one of the things I actually think they should do is I understand why when you buy the book, like the hardcover of the book, you don't get the D&D Beyond of it. I understand that there's a lot of money involved in setting up D&D Beyond. I think it would be great if when you bought a hardcover, you could pay extra to get the unlock immediately on D&D Beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not a ton extra. Maybe that should be one of the things that you get for supporting the company. And it's a situation where, yes, it's not profitable on paper, but it drives people towards using the service. Uh, that's something that I would like to see them work on or think about doing. Um, but in general, I feel like for me, role-playing game stores are are no longer an issue. I, I don't go to them. For one thing, there's not that many in Edmonton. There's like two. Uh, and it's gotten to the point where I get why you want to keep you I get why I want to keep like brick and mortar stores. I understand that they they provide more of a service than just buying the games. For one thing they they have all the other stuff you they sell, but they also provide an actual space to play in. And and also for, for people, people. It, it's a social place to also like meet people and also like cross-pollinate yeah. too, right? Like Absolutely. If, you, if your there's, only exposure is critical reasons. But I was going to say, like, my biggest reason is, like, if your only exposure to, like, D&D is Critical Role and you go and buy a D&D book and then you see all these wonderful independent RPGs on the shelf of your local game store, are you going to look at them? Absolutely. That's one thing. Also, the fact is that uh, having a brick and mortar location, like, allows you to do events and so forth that you just can't do in your own house. There's a, there's a ton of reasons why you want to keep them going. So I would love to see the situation evolve to the point where your brick and mortar store is supported by digital releases. And, and in the case that, of like yeah. going back to mothership, like that was the case, right? Mm-hmm. So like mothership made it up, made it a point during their, their Kickstarter and, and during their uh, push out of their product to make sure that anything they did, even digitally also supported the local game stores because they used the local game stores as a way to sort of reach out to the community and advertise their stuff. Because a lot of people, if you, most people I talk to, if they weren't people that generally go to their local game store, they didn't know about Mothership, right? At least on my experience. So, like, there's a way to balance it. There's a way to have both. And it doesn't need to involve blockchain or NFTs. Liz, did you hear the question that we were currently talking about? No. <laughs> okay, we're basically talking about how would you feel if you could buy the hardcover of a book and then get a digital copy just as part of the purchase? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love it when you can get a hard copy and a digital at the same time. Because having a hard copy is just really nice, particularly with TTRPG books, because just having something in front of you that you can reference during a game is so convenient because you aren't scrolling through things, you're not juggling through browser tabs or something like you would with a digital copy. Um, So I really like having physical books, but you can't deny the convenience of a digital copy that you can Mm -hmm. open up and it's like, okay, I want to find out just this. I'm just going to do a search and find it instead of like uh, shuffling through pages. You mean you don't want to schlep 30 pounds of uh, books everywhere you go? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I also think that I'm going to keep harping on it. There is definitely (laughs) a, for for people like me who have visual issues or what have you, there are reasons why you want to have everything on one device instead of Mm -hmm. carrying a bunch Mm -hmm. of books. But I don't, this is not me saying we should just switch everything over to being PDFs for lots of reasons. Um, and I definitely think that the the nature of hobby stores in the hobby is not just to serve as kind of like a, a place to go and buy things. They serve as congregation points. And that's real important. I think 2021 kind of proves it. 2020 and 2021 proved that congregation points are necessary. Because when we switched to a lot of online play, a lot of people were like, I really miss getting to go to my D&D game. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a need. And in a a desire for actual congregation points so you can do stuff like pick up a game you never heard of that because you it's it's one thing to be like constantly searching online to find out about new games but it is something else when you walk into the store and there's a game you never heard of um that's how i remember getting into like some games that i played for years like i never would have found out about riffs and i'm sorry i liked riffs yeah it was dorky and cheesy and horrible but yeah (laughs) 
I liked rifts. It was, it was goofy fun, but yeah, I, I definitely think that in general, we're, what we've said is pretty much, this is definitely, we, we know we're going to a more digital phase, but we need to try to keep the stuff that isn't digital because it's just so much a part of the hobby. Yeah. And we need to make sure that things like crowdsourcing stay around for tabletop RPGs, particularly this year, this past year has done nothing but prove the need for that. Right. Between mm-hmm. everything that we just talked about, all those games, but I mean, smaller ones as well too, right? Like we could, we can go through some of them, but there are some smaller ones that, that put themselves up there for only a few grand. Uh, and that's the only way they get their game off the ground or that's the only way they can get their stuff published or taken care of. Uh, yeah. and, and as somebody who has recently started looking at the cost of like, how, what does it cost to publish a book? What does it cost to actually get the graphics done? It is not terribly expensive, but it's more money than I have, you know, yeah. and being able to throw up a Kickstarter would be super, super useful. But if I can't do it or, you know, it's just generally not industry accepted, I could see it kind of just, yeah, I've been talking well, for a while. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to actually bring this part up because I, I did a post yesterday. I don't know if you got a chance to read it, but I basically mentioned various RPGs that you might have missed in 2021, um, which I did because I wanted to mention Wanderhome up front. That's the reason I wrote the post. Uh, <laughs> Wanderhome is just, it is an example of a kind of game that is not going to become big. And that's fine. We need games that are not trying to become massive, not games that are not trying to make 9.5 million on Kickstarter. Not that, that Avatar was trying to do that either. I don't, I don't think Avatar's original goal was even close to a million dollars. They give something like fifty thousand dollars, and then they got it like nine million. So, but, but like Wander Home, it's just it's a nice, quiet game. It doesn't even have a GM. It's it's literally just a bunch of players sitting around a table, basically trading off who gets to say what happens next, and sort of craft a story that way. And it's really interesting. It's really I haven't gotten to play it. it there's many. That's another thing about TTRPGs is a lot of times you don't get to play these games. Because uh, you can't find a group or what have you. You just end up reading them and thinking, wow, this would be cool to run. Ah, there's just a lot of that this year. There's a lot of really interesting games that were much smaller. Like um, the one, the other ones I mentioned were Galactic 2E, which is kind of like, like it's like an indie Star Wars. And it even says, yeah, it's about war between the stars. That They're up front. Their inspiration is on their sleeve. There's the Ark Doom tabletop RPG, which is basically just doomsdays and how to stop them like every mm-hmm. game session is mm-hmm. just like here's a doomsday how do we make it not happen um which i think was kind of influenced by the past couple of years let's be up front <laughs> i i just think that you know there is you mentioned games that wouldn't have happened without kickstarter and i hunt which is really good and really an interestingly trenchant criticism of just everything millennials have had to go through like the way the economy became the gig economy, mm-hmm. the way you're basically like you're downloading an app. It's like, I think one of the descriptions I remember reading that I ended up stealing was the idea of you're playing an Uber driver, except instead of driving people around or picking up food, you're murdering monsters for them. Like you get a job and you go out and you, you kill a Frankensteins because you have the app and that's it. It's, it's that it's, it's just, it is such a good criticism of what we're going through that you're not going to get from a really big game because they have to try to aim their game at making as much money as possible. This isn't that. And that's something I don't want to see lost. 2021 was a really good year for these games. 2021 is a really good year for TTRPGs in general. Uh, 2020 was too, but 2021, in my opinion, is the first, it's the year where we get to see what the shape of the hobby is going to be in the future. And, and not only that, like, like you, you're absolutely right, but I also wanted to throw out some of the other things that were, were announced or running this year, too, that I, we didn't include in our email, but you just reminded me of um, dungeon building stuff. Uh, there's a, a ton of, like, Kickstarters and, and new software being released for people. And Matt and I were talking about this a year uh, on this podcast uh, with the old cartographer CD that you used to get with, like, third edition. Uh, there's people that are trying to fill that gap for all genres now putting out stuff that are being funded through Kickstarter. It's something that many players have been asking for. And you see Roll20 Roll stepping up their game, Fantasy Ground stepping up their game. Uh, Discord has more dice bots than I know to, to, to shake a stick at right now. Like There's so many different ways to like physically enjoy your games while not being physically in the same place until we can that all rely on sort of those digital pushes. So yeah, like that, I don't want that stuff to go away. I want it to stick around. That reminds me of another interesting point that we sort of touched on in our email for today's show. Uh, the kind of digital tool sets like D and D beyond 
where you can go and you can read books, you can make character sheets, and it's just really, really easy to just jump on and you have access to all of the stuff. And because it's digital, you know, you, you know, you can share it with your friends and everyone can see your character sheet. And it's just, it's such a great way to make, to bring an immediacy to digital online games because you can just easily trade this stuff around. It's easy to access, it's easy to, to build things in, and it's easy to share. And uh, one of the things with the Avatar Kickstarter, one of their top tier goals was to build a digital tool set for the Avatar TTRPG. So you'll be able to make digital character sheets and all of that. And, you know, hopefully be able to share them with friends and do all of these cool things. And uh, this year, Paizo announced they are uh, going to build out a digital, digital character sheets and kind of digital site, which... When I first looked at it, I looked at their news announcement. It's like, this looks an awful lot like D&D Beyond. But that's a good thing, because D&D Beyond is a really solid tool for uh, for making D&D much more accessible to people online. And I think yeah. it's really cool to see other games yeah. getting that, to bring yeah. them to more people. You know what else is getting one? Hmm. Uh, World of Darkness is getting a, a, a Nexus on the same site oh. as the Pathfinder one. So is Free League. I'm not. I don't. Maybe up front. I don't know what Free League is. Free Free League is the the group that does the One Ring. Yeah. So One Ring is getting one. Yep. Uh, so there, there's there's more of them happening because I think one of the points you made, I think to me just in a conversation once, was that it's really hard for people to pick up a new game because they don't know the system to yeah. even make their character. Yep. Yeah. But if you automate all of it, then you don't have to worry about the math. You just do what the, the automation process tells you. And that takes a step out of it, which makes it easier for people to create characters. They just have to focus on what they want the character to be, not on all the math of how to, to make it work. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we're seeing that a rise of that. And that's absolutely something we should see more of. Um, uh, I am uh, really, really heartened to see. And quite frankly, yeah, they're ripping off D&D Beyond. Good. Steal from D&D Beyond. Do it. Technically, D and D Beyond stole from uh, what was it? He- was wasn't Hero Forge? It was uh, Hero Factory or something like that. Probably, I don't like, remember which one they ripped off, but yeah, absolutely. It, like everything is iterative. It's it's just kind of how it works. But I agree with you guys. Like it's it's one of those things where lowering the barrier to entry by creating digital means to streamline character creation is great. You don't need a slide rule to create your character anymore. Um, I'm all for that. The one thing I will say that with the digital revolution is. <laughs> With D&D Beyond, one of my biggest complaints about it is if I already own the book, I have to purchase the book again, usually at full price. And I would like to see companies start to try to figure out a solution where maybe that isn't the case. Not that I want them yeah. to make less money, but also like, don't get me wrong. I love Fizzbands. I don't feel like paying a hundred bucks to own the book twice. Yeah, that would be one of the things where I feel like it, there should be something that the companies making the games do to, to, to felicitate that. And I understand you don't want to like shut off the, the money that sites like D&D Beyond need to stay running, but if you could make it a loss leader where maybe I pay 75 bucks and I get both. And, you know, just something. I don't know. There, there, there needs to be something like that. It's, it's interesting. D&D Beyond books do cost pretty notably less than their physical counterparts. Yeah. Um, but if you look at Roll20, <clears throat> where I think <laughs> buying the books is, you know, more important because it comes with maps and all these things. It, same for uh, cl- Fantasy Grounds as well, by the way. Yeah, that's... Uh, I'm not sure what pricing on Fantasy Grounds is, but Roll20 is full price. They're the same. Watsy yeah. controls the price on both of those. Ah, So yeah, D&D Beyond is actually, it's cheaper than buying the physical book, but if you buy on other platforms, it's full price. Because they're and trying to push tough. you to D&D Beyond. That's, that's tough if you do it, want to do physical I, and digital. I, I was talking about this in chat with uh, Muriel uh, a little bit, and I understand that this might be a little bit difficult to implement. But one of the things that video game companies used to do uh, back in the day that was successful is, at least for a while, is when you would go to like a store like GameStop and you purchased a game, you would get a option to get a digital code since your email or printed on your receipt or something that you would then be able to redeem at the physical companies uh, or the, the company that you purchased the game, the game from ultimately their site to get digital content for it or a digital copy of the game so that you didn't have to repurchase it multiple times whatever the case was, I could easily see them starting to do something like that as well, where you can have a system where you can go buy a physical book and get an email 
uh, that gives you a, a key that you can put in at drive through RPG or somewhere else that allows you to get a one digital download copy of it because you have a proof of purchase of, you know, a book. Right. So that they, they could solve it. I just and I want them to solve it because I think the digital is very, very good. And I don't want that to go away. But I also I'm in I'm in team. I want to smell my books. Well, OK, then <laughs> <laughs> you, you 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 have that experience um, anyway. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to think of like we, we did mention the alignment from races thing that they did in D&D. And I think that's worth Pathfinder did a bunch of did, made sure to get rid of slavery narratives, um, which was pretty amazing. That's that's pretty recently that they yeah. announced that that none of their future books are going to include slavery, and they're not mm-hmm. going to explain it. It's just done. They're done with this. Not not yeah. even and, just Pathfinder, Starfinder as well. Yeah, and the thing about I I do want to say that Pathfinder was ahead of the curve on a lot of the stuff that D and D is picking up in terms of their uh, taking alignment out of it and and making it you know you're not limited by your race. They don't even use the word race in Pathfinder. It's ancestry or heritage, which I think is great. Um, but do we want to talk about what's coming up this year? Like just stuff we know that will be coming up in 2022. Uh, you know what? That actually would be a really good idea. Liz, why don't, you, why don't we start with you? What is, what is coming out in 2022 that you're looking for? Um, well, you know, I am a critical role fan, so I am really interested to see the curse of the nether deep. Oh, I hope I got the name right. Um, which is the new critical role book, the official, it's an official D and D book that's coming out from wizards of the coast in mm-hmm. March. And uh, we also have it's Call of the Nether Deep, not Curse of the Nether Deep. I keep I keep saying that. I wrong. always want to say Curse too. Try I'm yeah, right yeah. there with you. Curse just sounds really cool, but no, the Nether Deep is calling to us, not cursing us. So I'm interested to see that because it looks like that's going to build out on a lot of this new continent that we're in in, camp, in uh, Critical Role Campaign Three. And on January 28th, we're also getting the Critical Role animated series on Amazon, which is going to be really interesting to watch. And I am really interested to watch Critical Role jumping genres like this, not genres, platforms, I suppose, Um, because things like this do a lot to bring people into the game. I mean, this is, of course, an animated series. There's no dice rolling in it. but, you know, if someone watches that and thinks it's really cool, they're going to find out, oh, this was a D&D game, and they're going to go look in that. And I was brought into D&D because I had friends who watched Critical Role. So I started watching Critical Role, and then I'm like, huh, what are they doing? And I started learning about D&D, and I started playing D&D, and I started DMing D&D, and it's just been, you know, that's the gateway drug. So I'm interested to see where things like the Critical Role uh, animated series take us and how they bring new players in and kind of broaden the tabletop space. All right, Matt. Uh, there's a lot. So I'm actually having trouble narrowing it down to something coherent. <laughs> right. Uh, but I will actually say that one of the things I'm looking forward to is the Starfinder Galactic Magic book. My take on Starfinder is I've never actually wanted to run Starfinder as itself. Like I don't, mm-hmm. their campaign setting does not particularly interest me one way or the other, but I love the rule system. And I would absolutely love to be able to run a game using the rule system just with my own stuff in it. Uh, much in the same way that I don't generally don't run a stock D&D campaign. I usually come up with one myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But Pathfinders and Starfinder have a lot of stuff I've really... One of the reasons I'm so excited about the Pathfinder Nexus is I'm hoping that means I'll get be able to get you guys to play Pathfinder. Because I'm I would a- love to run a Pathfinder game with you guys. I'm into it. I'm there. Yeah, especially you guys, because I know you will do things and I'll be like, what? Oh, my God. I'm never getting over that, that counterspell day. That was, and I mean that in a good way. Like, as a DM, that was great to see you just just nail me to the ground with, like, this, this mechanic that I completely took for granted. I'm like, oh, my God, they're just going to destroy me because there's, like, three of them over there. Um, so, yeah, it was... I am super looking forward to the Galactic Magic and first Pathfinder and Starfinder products in general, but especially that that one. It's really exciting. I'm also looking forward to stuff D&D has got coming out. Like, that we don't know what it is yet. Like, they keep teasing that they're going to be doing classic campaign settings. I want to know what those campaign settings are. If I don't get, if I don't get Greyhawk and I don't get... Uh... Uh, you're not going to get Greyhawk. jammer. I'll be very sad. <laughs> I would like to, I would love for them to do Greyhawk, but they're not going to, uh, it's too much like other stuff. It might get mentioned in a book. 
Like, I think they're probably going to do Kryn and Greyhawk in some big, you know, the Cosmos book. They'll get mentioned, but I don't expect them to get a... At this point, I don't expect Kryn to get a setting. If I thought they were going to do a setting book for Kryn, it would have been this year. They're also so talking... Now, aren't they talking about redoing the... They're doing a, a f- another re- a release of the Forgotten Realms to consolidate and everything, right? Yeah, they are talking about that. So, yeah. but... For now, I'm just going to say Galactic Magic. That's the book I'm look, most looking forward to because it's one I know is actually coming out. Uh, we we still don't know half of what D&D is going to pull out. Um, and I know I'm down for whatever they do, but we don't know what it is. Honestly, TSR slash Wizards, I'm still calling you TSR all these years later. I'm sorry. Uh, Wizards, if you wanted to make some fast money, go take all those plane shift books releasing various mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering settings and just make a book out of them. You I already mean- got all the stuff written down. Just just get it like in shape for fifth edition mechanics and put it out because my God, there's a lot in those in those little things and you could make a, a real good book out of them. Absolutely. So that, that's it for me. Um, mine is a weird cavalcade of stuff. Like obviously I'm looking forward to seeing what Dungeons and Dragons releases uh, are coming in in 2022 because it's going to be interesting. They've hinted at a lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, we might get some of the old favorites that I've been waiting for to see if they get a a fifth edition release. Um, looking at you, Dark Sun. Uh, don't know if it'll ever happen, but I'm excited to see where they go from here. But there's also a ton of other games that are coming out. Well, let's not forget that uh, Avatar will be releasing this year. So that's something to, to, to note that I'm looking forward to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you're going to run it. I am absolutely going to run it unless Liz wants to run it, but I will run it. If she doesn't. Nope. Nope. That's that's on you. <laughs> because Powered by the Apocalypse is probably my favorite, my favorite system. So yeah, I'm all about it. Uh but there's I'm excited for a lot of uh other games coming out. Like did you know Blade Runner is getting a tabletop RPG uh released using the year zero engine in twenty twenty two? That one I'm actually not interested in, I'll be up front. Blade Runner has never been something I particularly uh, liked. I'm excited for it because it's literally a cyberpunk system using year zero. And I want to know how they're going to do it. I like Blade Runner on paper uh, in that regard. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, And it's the same one that it's because it's the same type of system they use for games like Tales from the Loop, which I absolutely love. Um, So that's coming out in 2022. Uh, There's some uh, cultural touchstone ones that are coming out as well uh, that are going to be releasing in 2022. And I think I called one of them out. Uh, maybe I didn't. Yeah, apparently I didn't. Um, but there's like ones like, uh, into the motherlands is another one that is, is coming out in 2022 officially releasing, which is Afrofuturism. Uh, I'm looking very forward to that because it's, it's another take on fantasy, uh, in a way that, you know, we haven't seen yet, uh, along that same line, we have Gubat Banois, uh, which is a Filipino, uh, like centric Filipino folklore centric, uh, RPG, uh, which I'm really looking forward to as well. Uh, there's a weird one coming out called Starlight Riders, uh, which is space cowboys, <laughs> um, which I'm interested in because it, the concept of it is that instead of controlling a single character, the characters are all shared between players in a bid to make everything a, a cooperative experience. So I'm really kind of curious what they do with that. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that coming out. And one of the ones that I'm absolutely looking forward to, and I don't know if anybody has has talked about it much yet, is Unplayable Games is releasing uh, a Powered by the Apocalypse fantasy game. Now, by itself, that wouldn't sound too exciting, but Fantasy World is trying to figure out how to become the, like, framework for fantasy role-playing in Powered by the Apocalypse. Uh, and I'm really interested to see how that goes because I love Powered by the Apocalypse. I haven't really liked most of the fantasy stuff that's come out for it, and I'd be very curious to see what they do and what what they get rid of, what tropes they get rid of. Uh, I mean, the only image that I've seen for it so far is literally the city on the back of a sky whale and people riding sky stingrays into battle. Like... <laughs> That alone has me sold and ex- interested to see what they come out with. So, those are those are some of my my top picks for what I'm looking for. Yeah. All right. And uh, well, we got three minutes to go, so I want to talk <laughs> a little bit about some of the cool stuff we actually got to do this year. Um, first off, starting this podcast at all, which is all Liz. Uh, congratulations and thank you. Uh, I've really enjoyed being able to do this. Um, we've gotten to run some really good games this year. Uh, Joe got to run some of his other wheeled story, which was really good. And I hope we get back to it at some point. It was very fun. You guys got to kill a God still. 
Yeah, and uh, we did the Riaton campaign finale. Also very fun. It's very fun. Yeah. And just in general, I've really enjoyed some of the stuff we've done. We got to do that really awesome interview um, with about the Avatar Kickstarter. Brendan Conway. And, you know, Brendan Conway. And just really, I never got to, th- I never thought I would get to actually talk to somebody who designed one of my favorite games because Masks <laughs> is one of my favorite games. And I got a nice conversation with him about that. And that was great. Uh, either of you guys have any highlights you want to mention? This? Uh, well, I mean, I started DMing stuff for Blizzard Watch on stream, which was, uh, still is a little stressful, really, because I'm never sure what y'all are going to do, and y'all <laughs> kind of derailed me in ways. Um, and I'm still new enough to this where I'm like, ah! Um, so yeah, that's been really interesting, jumping in and DMing games on stream. We've, I've been running the Wild Beyond the Witchlight game, which... Uh, we've only done two episodes of so far, and I the holidays. Yeah, I honestly thought they were gonna figure out things and get to the next section of the story in our second session, and it was like, nope, nope, we've gone off the rails, and who knows when we're going to get out of the Witchlight Carnival? I don't know. Weeks, weeks, and weeks. Uh, but it's it's interesting. It's it's interesting running games for these folks because. I never, I never know what y'all are going to do. Um, it's all, I, it's always fun playing games with people who surprise you. Um, it's maybe a little more stressful when people surprise you and you're the DM, but that has been uh, a <laughs> wild ride this year. I'm cackling because feel my pain. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> uh, honestly, it's hard to pick specific moments. Obviously, starting this podcast. Getting to talk with, uh, you know, Brandon Conway was great. Getting to talk with Greg Tito was great too. Um, I haven't talked with him in years, so being able to sit down and chat with him. Yeah, that was a really good interview as well. And I'm sorry I didn't mention you, Greg. We still actually have to get Greg into a game. He he often, sir. Oh, I'm I'm going to drag him into one of the games. Trust me. Um, the entirety of our tabletop coverage in general this year has made me very happy. Um, introducing people to Powered by the Apocalypse was something we did last year, but really more this year um a writing about some of that stuff was was fantastic as well uh introducing people Ooh. to the concept of shadow run which yeah. is gotten overshadowed by cyberpunk um you know that was very important to me so i was very happy to do that it was a big highlight for me. i'm gonna say also one thing i'd forgotten to mention but that would that actually happened this year because this year oh my god um getting to run a homebrew mass effect game for you guys that was, was a riot that, that was, was, that was amazing great. Uh, it was fun because I got to just take a system. Uh, it was empowered by the apocalypse uh, base and just homebrew up stuff for it. And that was fun. I haven't done that in a long time. And y'all played your parts magnificently. Uh, I still, to this day, Joe is an Elcor and Mitch is a Vorcha. <laughs> just brilliant. Joe, Joe's like, you know, determined we will survive. <laughs> you know? just, man, you didn't know you needed an Elcor action hero until you got one. <laughs> But yeah, and, and I still, to this day, I love, I absolutely loved, I had to cut off my mic when, when Liz is like, I did something with my talent, <laughs> when she successfully hacked the elevator. She's like, I did something. And I died. I literally died for like a minute. I was like, just, yeah, I, I really had a good time running that game. I would like to do more stuff like it in 2022, but regardless, uh, I guess we're done. Yeah. We're, we're, we're on time. We are at that uh, time. So, folks, that means yep. as I'm up, uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast citing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance of having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, either of you guys got a goodbye you want to say? Say it now, because we're going to go after that. Bye! Bye, everybody. Looking forward to a awesome and hopefully game-filled 2022. Alrighty. If you guys have questions for Tavern Watch, you can send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line Tavern Watch, so we know it's for this show. Um, you can also go to our Discord. We've got multiple channels. The, the first one is a Q, patron Q and podcast questions channel. You can go in there if you're a patron and we'll give you a first look because that's one of the things we do for your, in exchange for your support. You can also go to our Q questions channel. Uh, and I think we've got an off topic channel for just games. Uh, yeah, do we have a yeah. TTRPG channel? Yeah. yeah. Well, so you, yeah, D&D, I think. 
Yeah, yeah but we you talk can, all kinds of games. You can ask any questions for Tavern Watch in the D&D channel. I don't know. It'd be better if you at them at one of us, preferably me, because I tend to put together emails, just to make life a little easier. But, you know, we're, we're totally down for questions about any game you'd like to talk about. Um, someday I'll get to do my 35-minute rant about how great Nexus the Infinite City was. Uh, but that day is not today. Uh, so, yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to us in 2021. And here's looking forward to a better 2022, at least in terms of getting to do more cool stuff. Uh, Yeah, that's it. Thanks, guys. 